0: Coming up next, the booketing reads uh, the Beowulf Poets' immortal classic, the untitled poem, which has come down to us as Beowulf. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Somebody else want to do one? <laughs> my name is Nathan Overson. I'm your humble and obedient host, welcome to part three of our discussion about Beowulf, the great poem, specifically the new verse translation by S- Seamus, Heaney. Seamus Heaney, joined today by Pastor Jacob Metzler, how are you doing Jake? I'm
1: doing well, how about you? Ah, I'm doing
0: pretty good, and I'm also joined by Brandon Chastain, hey, how are you doing Brandon? Doing great. It's good to hear. All right, let's dive back right into part three of our discussion about Beowulf. Let's talk about the monsters, my favorite. Who is Grendel? Cain Spawn. Cain Spawn. I always like it when, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm a bad person, but I like it when biblical mythology, so to speak. gets mixed up with other mythology. In the Arthurian romances, I like it with the Holy Grail and everything. I just think it's interesting to look at a culture where, like Jake said, they probably didn't have the Bible. What they had was the Catholic Church or some version of that kind of, you know, they had priests and monks that could teach them things. And this poet may not have had reference to the NASB standard. He just knew the stories. It seems like maybe he's more familiar with Genesis than he is with a lot of the other stories. And so... It all, it's all grist for his mill. Can't
2: help but mm-hmm. uh, think of um, *East of Eden* when reading this, because the Cain story becomes such an important part of that. And here you have a completely different treatment of it. <laughs> well, in this case, you have all of the all the mythical Nordic creatures
1: recast as, as spawn of Cain, yeah, given biblical explanation,
0: yeah. Now there's a famous novel called Grendel. Grendel's portrayed fairly sympathetically apparently in at least two cinematic adaptations. People tend to a lot of moderns feel sympathy for Grendel. Did you guys feel any pity for him? I didn't. I think
2: the poet does a fairly good job of making this lineage of Cain into something that's very seriously evil and that has to be stood against and that it's has to be um destroyed and that's part of the heroism is facing it. I, read somewhere it may have been lewis that said that that was the difference between this and homer and other big differences that with homer the monsters are all part of the natural world and have explanation and here the monsters are made more terrifying by giving being given the spiritual element and there's a seriousness to them there's a
0: reality to their evil that it's not just a cyclops marauding around That yeah. just happens to be a cyclops this guy has a real malice we know his motivation to some extent and it's a very dark he's an enemy of god right? yeah, not just he's an enemy in- of man
1: demonic by nature.
0: And it's not just their partying that draws him forth it's it's specifically a bard reciting the story of Genesis, the story of creation that he yeah. hears. And
2: which is I mean, which is kind of why I was thinking of Steinbeck at that point is because you know, in the modern retellings of Cain, people want to find the sympathy for Cain but here in the early literary treatment of it, there's no sympathy for him.
0: No, I think if you pity Grendel, you bring that with you. It's not something that the poet was going for.
2: You're not supposed to like find the Cain within yourself and kill him.
0: You're supposed to stand
2: against the evil Evil, right?
1: Yeah. Grendel shows up in the middle of the night while people are sleeping Yeah. and kills innocent men and eats their flesh and drinks their blood and mm-hmm. carries off his kills in dragon skin back to his lair to feast on them. And he's portrayed as gleeful and wicked in every respect. I don't...
2: Yeah, if, if I had to guess what the modern retellings, why they're sympathetic towards him, it's because of this modern obsession with our guilt of invading and colonizing other places. And so... Just like people want to find sympathy for that creature and the Tempest, that Caliban, right? right? And so there's a lot of literature devoted to how can we be sympathetic and understanding towards Caliban and seeing what Shakespeare was really doing and how he was showing us how we create the monsters but the monsters aren't really monsters and that's probably what the modern retellings are doing they're saying oh look this is whether the poet meant it intentionally or not his dealing with the foreign invader who builds this hair rot it
0: was my understanding that that's what the stupid Beowulf movie actually does is you you basically the idea is that Grendel and his mom were happy hanging out in their little swamp and then they come and they pave paradise and put up a Hall, they're loud and they're obnoxious, loud and, obnoxious and, and Grendel's got this accentuated ability to hear. I think in the movie, so he's just like going crazy. So he starts uh chowing down, and forever after he's cast as a monster. You know, yeah. I, th- I think I wouldn't say I felt pity for Grendel, but I think it is interesting. It's worth noting, at least, that the monsters kind of follow this trajectory in the story from more human to more elemental and hmm. Grendel is the most human the yeah. most, if, 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 if he's a, he's not identifiable perhaps but it's interesting that he has a mother, it's interesting that he has a motivation, that his malice feels much more human and then I think his mother feels more demonic and more removed from any experience that I've had and then we finally end with the dragon which just seems to be an instrument of fate uh, just a real monster. So I can see why if you're gonna pick any of the monsters to pity in your pathetic modern way it would be him
2: i can see it to an extent he's kind of has that golem quality to him that he's been
0: abandoned
2: and maybe less of a demon and more of a troll
0: yeah well and it's just interesting that he had the fact that he has a mother is it doesn't make you sympathize but it humanizes him in a way that his father being in the swamp wouldn't Uh, he'd be a different character
2: yeah, he's a, he's an outcast, them. and people can feel sympathy towards outcasts. And
0: I'm not arguing to feel sympathy for him. I'm just I'm saying he's more of a human-ish monster than the other two in the story, perhaps.
2: But I do think just like you have I'm trying to remember what I was saying, Oh, you have a novel where Barabbas. Barabbas
0: yeah, there's a movie called Barabbas at the where Barabbas. you're supposed
2: to sympathize with him, right? And so it's the modern... The Book of Judas. Yeah. uh, It's this modern obsession with trying to apologize to everyone forever, having called them a monster, and so unwilling to ever really call anything a monster, because there's got to be some nuance there that we're not getting with Grindel and... Yeah, it's clear. Beowulf was this privileged white guy who came into Grendel's territory and Hrothgar was this privileged old white guy and come on, probably these people are the Celts just imagine how the Anglo-Saxons treated the Celts all the way up to the modern British Empire treating the Irish
0: and In fact, Grendel's probably just the poet exercising his own guilt Yeah, about that's a,
2: that's probably, that's, I guarantee I'm you sure there are essays out there like PhDs
0: that PhDs built on nothing less Yeah No, Grendel's a monster. He's malicious. You're supposed to cheer when he dies. I think, I mean, I'll say it again. I think he is more humanized than the other two. We follow him back with his arm ripped off. We see him in pain and we see him die. It's not that we're supposed to sympathize with him, but it is interesting that he's portrayed as more of a character with perceptible motivations than the other two monsters are and
1: it's interesting that what beowulf brings up to the surface of the w- the water is not grendel's mother's head but but grendel he goes and finds grendel's corpse and cuts off grendel's head and brings grendel's head up
0: how did you guys imagine grendel and his mother by the way poet doesn't hardly give us anything
2: He don't really get a description yeah big does.
0: hulking slimy big black golem-y kind of thing
2: yeah trollish Less trollish. Yeah,
0: not not big, not large. I would imagine him very lanky and quick-moving. Maybe more tall, orcish. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> not stout, I wouldn't yeah. say. I would say more of a creepy-crawly kind of quick. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, he's stout in my Grindle. Yeah. He's stout. He's big and th- kind of oafish. I think kind of cyclops.
0: Oh, see, I'd imagine him more like a big... Like, I don't know. Like a large, dark golem. Yeah, like Venom or something. I'm trying to think of what the modern equivalent would be. I don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Descriptive failure on the poet's part. Come on, man. We wanted to <laughs> know what he
0: looked like. I just imagined him as being quick, as being able to look the No, work, I did not imagine his mother as being Angelina Jolie. No, I didn't imagine that either. <laughs> but uh, a whole right. generation of people gets to imagine that now. Yay. Here's a... Big broad question that's probably entirely beyond our purview, but where do monsters come from? Oh no, <laughs> the id, the id, and the end. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tolkien talks about how the critics of Tolkien's time all thought this story would be much better if it was about the passions and the the battles between men, and they just thought it was a big waste of time that the poets spent on these monsters. Why not just have a malicious human that Beowulf has to fight? What do you get by having a monster? Evil's
1: real, and evil is supernatural, and there is a devil, and there are demons, and there's a supernatural reality that we are always trying to escape from. We have those stories because deep down we know we have to deal with the evil both outside and within, whether it's our own guilt or whether it is the actual objective evil out there in the world. And so and we want to believe that evil can be defeated. And so what is it that Chesterton says dragon stories don't exist?
2: We
0: always quote this. We should just
2: quote yeah. it correctly We've for said once it in our lives. I'm going to find it. Something about they exist to show that dragons can be defeated. Can, can be killed. Yeah. Yeah, so Grendel exists to first. show that to,
1: to show that the demons, the Nordic demons, can be destroyed. Yeah, and not only that, yeah, it to, should be
2: right, and all, yeah, ought to be. The point isn't that you shouldn't be Beowulf. The point is that Beowulf is a good king and is a, the type of leader that you should want to either follow or be or whatever position in life you have.
1: I mean, if Beowulf's a pagan, he's a pagan. Be- he's a pagan that still ends up fighting God's enemies.
0: Yeah. Fair tales are more than true, not because they tell us dragons exist, but because they tell us dragons can be beaten. That is a quote by G.K. Chesterton, which apparently, according to the internet, is often attributed to Mr. Neil Gaiman, the screenwriter for the Beowulf movie. Well, and that's weird.
2: And <laughs> starring Angelina Jolie and Anthony Hopkins. Right. Huh. Yeah, this is interesting. There's This is becoming a new academic topic, is why do monsters exist? And, of course, their answers are all, well, it's a way that we can deal with what we're scared of, and which is true. But, but what is it way, that we're scared of? Is yeah, the, the way that they twist it is, you know, it, well, the monsters are never really monsters. The monsters are the people who make them into monsters. And so that's their way that all white people
0: can be monsters. Right. You know, are all... Western
2: civilization can become a monster.
0: What was other about Grendel and how did the people of the time hate that and, and vilify if, it? Yeah. Then if
2: you really like an author like Shakespeare, you get to try and twist things to make it well, Shakespeare wasn't making Caliban to be a bad guy. Shakespeare was using Caliban to make a statement about Elizabethan society right? and, get the and how they were the monsters, the right? Well, I mean, it's probably not true. Shakespeare just knew Caliban was a good monster and had him in the Tempest and just like the Beowulf poet knew that grendel and grendel's mother and then finally the dragon they were the enemies that this guy needed right to make his heroism come out and to show the state of the world that these sort of terrifying things do exist and unfortunately they in this world will most likely win and the but they don't win because there's a higher reward for those who fight with courage and there's a victory that is coming
1: the knowledge that this world isn't just material that it's spiritual is sewn deep down and the more we as moderns try to hide it, it, it the more we need other ways to process it and so we have
2: you know freudianism the
1: walking dead or whatever it is i don't know
0: well what happens is we still need monsters we still need bad guys just for to tell a good story and in order to justify them being monstrous we have to in in, in 21st century movies and literature make them so utterly monstrous that you suddenly get this stuff that's just really wicked and rapey and yeah yeah you, know, you, you can't just have oh he's a monster so you have to fight him so you have to either because monsters it, exist uh so you either make him sympathetic and pitiful or you make him so beyond the pale monstrous that no one can deny. Those are the two choices you're left with. And or
2: unfortunately, where they will add their nuance, it will be they'll make the hero less heroic, right? They'll make mm-hmm. the hero gritty. And so then you get this sort of stupidity like this Beowulf movie or Game of Thrones mm-hmm. where no one's good. Yeah, nobody's good. Instead of having Lord of the Rings where you have Aragorn, who is undoubtedly good, and Gandalf, who is undoubtedly good, versus these real evils. you know, No wonder Tolkien loved Beowulf because he saw the sort of stark contrast between good and evil that you then see in the Lord of the Rings. Right, You see the heavy influences there. But instead with Game of Thrones, I, from what I know of it,
1: they haven't watched it?
2: No, I haven't watched but it. But
1: it does seem like just everybody's terrible.
0: Well, I watched the first season and then I gave up because it was wicked. But what I can tell you is that there's one character who is the Aragorn of that story. He's a very good, noble man. And the defining moment that everybody that loves Game of Thrones remembers is, spoiler alert, when he gets his head hacked off just by an awful, malevolent brat of a king. And from there on... That's when the story of Game of Thrones gets interesting because you realize nobody's good. You realize everything's is at no stake. Hero. There's no hero. You know, the people that survive and thrive in the world of Game of Thrones are the people that are willing to just do anything and just embrace the Darwinianism and play the game of Thrones. The people that die are inevitably... The good ones. The Aragorns of the world are the ones that don't make it. The very... Potent rejection of Western civilization, really I mean it's, it's just it's taking the whole mythos of, of Beowulf, of Lord of the Rings of everything of, of, of all every fairy tale, and' it's, it's designed to spit it in the face of that. that's what Game of Thrones is, and it's a very compelling story for that reason actually that's what people find yeah. interesting about it. So you have a storyteller that comes along and says, "Let me tell you how it really is, and that's attractive to people.
2: so they want what, they want what they think is gritty and real and true. Like that's not boring Like That's not the, what we see every day But it's an interesting aesthetic preference A change that's happened Where In the 20th century You know it's yeah. not like I mean think about it In the 800s or the 700s Whoever the poet was speaking to They knew that life was gritty and real Oh grittier you and realer it, than yeah. we'll
0: ever know yeah. a-
2: Anything that the Game of Thrones people would ever know either You see it on the edges of these poems You see the betrayal You see the death You see the destruction and That's They knew all that It's not like they didn't see it every day They saw the death of their children To disease And to horrible things And that's not the story they wanted to hear. Instead, we, as a modern culture, feel whatever sort of stupid guilt we have towards um, not enforcing our ideas of good and evil, but instead being more practical and pragmatic and having more reality and sense about the world. And So then HBO comes and feeds everybody a bunch of violence and sex, but pretties it up and makes it look like it's grit
0: realism. And I don't know. That's an interesting point. I mean, it's almost like when you're living in the reality of death and disease and hardship, you have to have faith that there is heroism, that there is goodness, that goodness will triumph over evil. You have to, the stories that you tell reflect that. It's, it's almost like when you live in real hardship, your stories will reflect the true nature of things. But, you know, when you live in decadent luxury...
1: The only thing left is to tear everything down, to be self-destructive and suicidal. Mm. That's what it all is. It's just all kinds of self-loathing.
0: We're not allowed by our culture to see the reality of death and of good and evil. So in our attempt to see that reality, we watch Game of Thrones, which purports to offer us something gritty and real. But the people that actually live death and good and evil have the faith to see something more.
2: It's the same stupidity that starts out orthodoxy with G.K. Chesterton, where he argues against the people who hate poetry because they want to be practical. It's the same sort of stupidity. All these people, like all the hipsters, they think they're so artistic with everything that they're doing when they're just being the same boring side of, of the same coin in the sense that they can't like what's simple but good and true because they need to be more complicated. You know, life's more complicated than that. It's just like, just stop it. It isn't for one thing. And it is beautiful for another to see these sorts of stories and to see their goodness as good as Wes Anderson may be. You know, he's not going to tell you the sorts of truths that you can get from Beowulf because all he's going to tell you is that you're depressed and you're psychologically weird and a little bit narcissistic. Good for you. I have no idea where that came from, but there you go. There you have it. A little rant against Wes
0: Anderson <laughs> in your face, Wes Anderson. They <laughs> should make Wes Anderson's Beowulf. I'd watch that. <laughs> that would um. be weird. <laughs> grendel shaving
2: staring at himself in a mirror (laughs) Who
0: am I? Right, well, let's talk about the third month. Well, does anybody want to say anything about Grendel's mother? I guess we haven't really gotten to hear how does Gre- how does Beowulf hold his breath so long? That has always, does... always bugged me <laughs> for like almost a day, right? right. Or, or or does she drag him? Does he end up in a place like that's in a cavern? That's I, I always I know I'm bringing had... realism where it's not required or asked for. But I did realize I did it, notice that bugs me time. every I said time I read it. Said it almost a half a day that he was under the, the
1: better water. part of a day. I think is yeah. what it said.
0: I know he's like the greatest swimmer slash. Monster fighter underwater that the world has ever known. As I always imagine,
1: he but. had to have gotten into a cavern, though, right? I th- I imagine that he had to swim to like the bottom of.
0: It doesn't feel like an underwater fight when he's actually fighting her, right? And when he finds everything, yeah,
1: yeah. I, so he has to go way down deep to get in there. Then he gets in, and then he finds her, and they fight.
0: But he still had to swim for like the better part, the better part of a day. If so he just had good lung capacity, or maybe some primitive scuba gear, <laughs> he's getting pockets of air bubbles. <laughs> Are you looking for the answer? <laughs> Jake's ruffling through his book. He's trying to find this passage where it describes Beowulfs. maybe it has a picture of a scuba suit. <laughs> scuba suit. <laughs>
2: just,
1: after these words, the prince of the weather geats was impatient to be away and plunged suddenly. Without more ado, he dived into the heaving depths of the lake. It was the best part of a day before he could see the solid bottom.
2: Yeah, so he was swimming the whole time.
1: Quickly, the one who haunted those waters, waters who had scavenged and gone her gluttonous rounds for a hundred seasons, sensed the human observing her outlandish lair from above. So she lunged and clutched and managed to catch him in her brutal
2: grip, but his body, for all that, remained unscathed.
0: So it really just sounds like the whole thing happened underwater.
2: We've just discovered that uh, Beowulf takes place in the Mario universe. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So Bowser is just a descendant of (laughs) Grindel's mother. (laughs) Someone should make Mario Beowulf. That would be awesome.
1: (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> the sword dripped blood <laughs> that gives it a feeling of
2: yeah that's where you get the really
0: amazing image of the sword melting like icicles yeah that was, remember that that's cool it's like something Peter Jackson would want to put in I think she's my favorite monster That's my, my favorite scene in the book is probably his fight with her I just think it's really Cool and evocative, and a good it's a, it's it's a, a better fight. fight. S-
1: it's a better fight scene than the one with Grendel. Yeah, the Grendel one's just like, I'm holding your arm <laughs> <laughs> now. It's your arm. You're losing your grip, you Got your attack. arm. Got your arm. <laughs> 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 let out a cry. <laughs> 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 Go somewhere. <laughs> yeah, Grendel
0: kind of blows it. But, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I would say, okay, a dragon about the dragon dragon's pretty cool, right? (laughs) The dragon's great. It's a good dragon, as far as literary dragons go, one of the best. Yeah. 50
2: foot long. 50 foot long. Yeah, people make the point that there's a lot of... This is not the kind of dragon we're used to imagining. That this is an actual dangerous dragon, right? Big and... Of I, don't most yeah. of my dragons I don't know where I read like this. That was kind of stupid but... now that I said it. Dragons dragon. <laughs> like Pete's dragon. <laughs> it's That's The because, magic oh,
0: dragon. <laughs> <point>. Okay. I, <laughs> I <remember. just laughs> found this to be dissimilar. I remember a, I remember. Dragon. I think it was I think it was the introduction to
2: this. Uh-huh. He he says that and he may be wrong actually. Now that I think of it because we've got Smog and we got these other dragons. He said it's not the Disney-fied type of dragon. This this dragon actually. Right, because has the
1: d- the dragon that Maleficent turned into was not terrifying to me as a child. Forget this. Whatever.
0: Yeah. Dragons are always boss and always scary. Yeah, there's, good a reason. there's a reason they're always the final boss. Right. <laughs> I <love> these stories. <laughs> this is the final boss. This, is <laughs> this, is. <laughs> this is real, Wolf really is the put original put this in terms that you can understand here. Level one, Grendel. Yeah, that dragon's pretty cool. He's a noble, uh, appropriate it, foe. Right,
1: he's got poisonous fangs. That's a nice touch.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's glittering and colorful, and I like that they have to deal with his corpse. That we include the detail of them shoving the dragon corpse off into the water, or whatever. <laughs> it's off
1: the side of the cliff, or, or something.
0: I always liked the dragon corpse just rotting in the lake in Bardtown or whatever. I, I think I just like thinking about what happens to dragon corpses after you kill them. I had never thought of that.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is a.
0: I remember how, when Smog is dead, like the whole lake is ruined for like years, isn't it? They have to move,
2: yeah, because of his rotting corpse.
0: Right, it really takes the property value down when you've got a giant rotting dragon corpse that's going to take like decades to disappear. Yeah, It'd be pretty sweet to be a kid and like play in a dragon's rib cage or something if you grew up at just the right time. <laughs> Um, well, I guess let's just tie it all together. What have we decided? What the actual theme and point of Beowulf is? What the poet was trying to do? The one, you've got the Douglas Wilson, the whole thing is a Christian apologetic work you've got that extreme mm-hmm. showing us the pinnacle of pagan civilization and showing us how that civilization falls apart beowulf dies everything sucks we need christ so that's that's one uber christian interpretation that's that's the extreme in that direction and then what would the extreme in the other direction be
2: if i had to guess what would the current scholars say beowulf is beowulf is a, an, an an interesting period piece. That says quite a bit about Anglo-Saxon culture and that Chamas Heaney translated fairly well. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, they say we have a poet that's really struggling with the fact that he wants to impose his Christian values probably on...
2: Yeah, I could see a scholar saying on, that. I oh. actually don't know a whole lot about what the modern scholars would say mm-hmm. about it.
0: A lot of the stuff that I did look up that was more modern talked about the poet they almost looked at it as a failing like you have this great pagan story of a monster fighter and then you've got this poet that's not a failing but just an interesting salient point you have this the poet is at odds with the poem basically the poet is trying to tell a story that he doesn't quite buy into
2: because of his christianity because of
0: his christianity so that's i guess the we'll we'll call that the extreme non-christian view is where they say the poem actually doesn't quite work or if it does work it comes out of a tension of a poet who believes one thing telling a story that supports a different kind of belief
2: yeah, this pagan world and, right. and that he finds more attractive.
0: And he's constantly trying to like Christianize it for his readers. But So you've got that on the one hand, and then you've got the Douglas Wilson view all the way on the other side of the spectrum, who says that this poet is a genius Christian apologist who wrote this thing very specifically to talk about how those two cultures interacted. Where do we fall? Guys, what do we think the poet was trying to do? We can't know, but just we can't know based on the evidence that we have based
2: on the evidence, I think he was if we get ourselves into the situation where he was telling this poem, I think he was telling a story that he took seriously that he thought had depth and goodness to it. It had real danger, real truth about life in the way that the world worked. and he was telling a story about a a good man, a hero going out and facing a world that our cur- with it, with courage will also uh, often mean death for you but that should still be faced with courage
1: yeah i think he was telling a good story that said hey this is who we are and this is where we came from and these are our f- these are our fathers and
0: you you don't buy into Wilson's like he was this incredibly clever christian apologist theory that seems a little far to me but
2: i think that was the whole point of the poem
0: yeah, I don't want to put words in Wilson's mouth, but...
2: Well, I do think
1: that there's certainly... I mean, I don't know, certainly. I want to believe that there's some... This is how we got to where we are today, mm-hmm. to it. Sure. I think that's sort of obvious. Whether or not he was trying to set up this is the inevitable fall of paganism and explains why we're so much better because we're Christians or, or or whatever that... I can't say that, but I do think he is saying, giving an explanation of this is what we were, and this is where we come from, and this is where we are now. And he's doing it in a way that you could look back as an Anglo-Saxon and be sort of proud of where you came from despite you know whatever pagan roots it may have had.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, Wilson says, to conclude and summarize my argument, I would say this. First, Grendel should be understood as a dark and necessary aspect of the noble and aristocratic society. So long as this warrior code of honor is the organizing principle of a culture, the culture will be haunted by Grendel's somehow, anyway. Secondly, the establishment of a warrior ruling caste necessarily creates an enemy of the society which the warriors are dedicated to defend, but it is an enemy which they cannot defend against. The epitome of this is Hrothgar and also, in another superior way, Beowulf, blah blah blah. A society turned itself in this way is not capable of fighting external enemies to satisfactory conclusion especially when the dragon represents the baser motives of the whole culture. So... I don't think I want to follow Douglas Wilson into any of that. What he's basically saying is that the poem is showing a society that is untenable well, and is collapsing in on itself. It's decaying. It does
1: have a point yeah. about the dragon representing, representing the baser desires of that culture. I, I do think that the whole point of all of the treasure hoard that the dragons guarding and you know going to protect and keep for himself is rotting and decaying. That's significant.
0: Yeah. I'm just not sure if the poet is at all critical of Hrothgar's kingdom. If the poet would at all say that there was something about Hrothgar's kingdom that necessitated the creation of a Grendel. He's certainly much more ambivalent about the about
1: treasure than all of his characters though. Like when you you remember at like the very beginning, he's talking about the death of some king, and he gets put in his boat and burned and mm-hmm. with all the treasure. And he's like, well, who knows where that treasure ended up, and who's going to find it someday? He seems much more ambivalent about the gold throughout the course than everybody else in it. Beowulf, he cares about it, but he also isn't. He's the closest maybe to the poet in terms of his attitude toward it. I guess. I don't know. I'm just maybe supposing or talking out loud about it.
0: I don't know. I think the question, I think the, the real question you have to answer is how much do we differentiate the poet's view of things from Beowulf's view of things, from the story's view of things? How much is the poet standing outside and criticizing this culture or allowing us to see? And it doesn't seem to me that he's doing much of that, except yeah. for maybe in yeah. the dragon, in the dragon episode, maybe more. But in the early episodes, in the Beowulf as a young man...
1: No, he's just right there. with.
0: It just feels like he's like this great hero came and he did this awesome stuff and it was awesome. Yeah, And that's what it feels like to me. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of reflection unless you want to say that the whole first half is just setting us up for the second second half. half, But it doesn't feel like that to me. It feels episodic. It feels like each episode carries its own weight. And I want to give the poet credit of being an intelligent human being, more intelligent than me, and of knowing how the three episodes would play against each other. But I find it hard to make a unified view of the culture, the way that Douglas Wilson does, or maybe even the way that Tolkien does based on the story. It seems to me to just be a good old-fashioned Yeah, I darn. mean,
1: you remember, first of all, we don't even know when this stupid thing was written within three or 400 years. but
0: We don't know th- how close or far away he was from
1: this. Right, future. but things were mixed up back then. Everybody was trying to make sense of the paganism they came from and the Christianity that's, you know, God comes to them, and, and they're m- moving and... Yeah.
0: And what you said can't be emphasized enough. I don't I think they didn't this guy didn't necessarily have a Bible to refer to. He certainly didn't have commentaries just to Google click away. Yeah.
1: He he had what he was taught.
0: He had oral tradition and t- teaching. That's it. And, he's,
1: so and he all. shows you what it's you know, they get the Genesis story in there because some bard came and sang it. Well that's how you that's how they got what they got. And obviously, he's schooled enough, at least in Genesis, to, to know something of Cain and and all that. But,
0: but yeah, it, just, it seems to me to be reading too much into the poem to try and make a unified theory of, of anything out of it, really. I was trying to
2: make it be a social commentary. But yeah. There's no real evidence like that this is some running social commentary on these people. I mean, obviously, there is the clear one that's stated at the end that these men were cowards and they wouldn't partake in the courage. That Beowulf had, and so therefore their cowardice was going to bring their destruction.
0: Yeah, we but, have cowards, we have fools, but, we have earth, yeah. But
2: but here he says that it's a, it's all the greed, and that and so you had this gold that was buried. The dragon comes and sleeps on it, and then the servant comes and he takes the cup, and he says it's that one action of taking and stealing, which everyone was doing. It was a part of a bigger social issue of stealing and greed. But if I'm if I'm remembering right, the slave only did it because he wanted his master to take him back, right? Yeah. Yeah, he goes and he presents the cup to his master So that's an apology.
0: Yeah, it really doesn't feel as easy as it is to read the obvious allegory of their greed brought the dragon. It really doesn't feel like that in actually reading the story.
2: What it felt like to me, which is kind of what it felt like with both Grindel and his mother, is this just is the inevitable fact of living in this world, that there are monsters, that they're there. It may be 50 years, but eventually they're going to come and you're going to have to fight them.
0: It seems to me that if the poet was podcasting right now, he would say, you guys have your monsters. Based on the evidence we have in the poem, you know, he'd say monsters are going to come and you're going to have to fight them and you better hope you have a Beowulf or that you're a Beowulf. M- my point in writing this was not that monsters inevitably come because of this specific kind of society. Yeah, that's
1: what I but was that saying. monsters come and you better have
2: courage. Right. Yeah. Don't be unferth or whatever. Yeah. Because I buy the argument that he's suggesting that this is the way the world is. And that the difference between our world and that world is that we have the hope of an eternal reward afterwards. Sure, But you also see it in this poem. I mean, that's what Hrothgar tells Beowulf to look for is the eternal reward and not to get carried away by treasure and pride. And then um, there are all the aspects of this idea of fate, which we really haven't talked a lot about, and doom. That in this world, and according to this Anglo-Saxon view of the world, you're, you'll die when you're fated to die. Right? And Beowulf sits on the edge of that cliff before he fights the dragon, and he's sad because he knows that it's it for him. He just has a feeling that this is it for him. And he doesn't blame his people. He doesn't blame the servant for going. And like, And there's no evidence at the end that—was it Wiglaf Is that the— Wigliff's or, the good guy. Yeah, yeah. Wiglaf That he blames the servant for being this epitome of the greed that destroyed— the only thing that gets criticized is the
0: cowardice. Right, and we're always going to have cowards with us. It's not a specific criticism <laughs> of any particular culture or of a pagan culture versus a Christian culture. It seems to me that we have a form of Christianity and a form of paganism that are already in the poem and it's just a good story. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, I shouldn't
2: make more out of it than it is, but also give it the credit that it deserves, and that does a really good job at doing
0: what it purports to do. <laughs> yeah, he's telling a good story of a Christian or perhaps proto-Christian hero, and that's it. He fights some monsters. That's good enough. Why does it have to be a social commentary, Tolkien? <laughs> we have figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think I'd probably... If you read the Tolkien essay, I think I would agree with that. What Tolkien does say is that he essentially does cast it, as Brandon said much earlier, as an elegy, as a tragedy, as the story of a man in his youth and then a man in his old age and the fact that death comes to him inevitably. And I I would go with Tolkien there. I mean, tragedy is an awfully awfully grandiose Well, it's not tragic
2: in the sense that he brings it on himself.
0: Right, it's not. It's
2: just, it's an elegy because he's singing of the way the world is. It's not that Beowulf or his people because of their tragic flaw brought this on themselves it's that beowulf was a good king beowulf with the time that was given to him led his people well right there's that part where he says the merits that he had yeah. right he never took what wasn't his or something he took care of what was given to him, and he had courage when courage was needed. And now he's going to have courage again, and he's going to die.
0: And we do have all those side stories that reflect other kinds of kings and the good and the bad, and Beowulf does stand out among the pack.
2: So you're getting the elegy of a good king, and that's what it is.
0: Yeah, I think you put your finger on where I disagree. What I think Douglas Wilson is perhaps saying is that it is a tragedy in the sense of this culture having a fatal flaw, which brought about its destruction. And then, you know, it needed to be redeemed through Christ. I think it's just the story of the tragedy of every culture.
2: I think you're right. I think he's wrong. That's just weird. Sounds like he's trying to participate in this critical debate about, apparently that tells you what the critics think about it nowadays. It's this psychological drama about Beowulf fighting himself. Or something? Did you read that? That quote in there? That was weird. <laughs> Grendel is like his shadow self. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like what oh. the what in the world? Where where do people find this evidence? They just they're oh. some modern criticism can get really, really stupid. It's just like, yeah, Beowulf, he's if we look at this through the lens of Freudianism and don't actually read the poem and don't actually do anything but kinda know what the poem is doing generally and don't care about the words the poet's saying, then maybe we can see this as a Freudian drama. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. It's really stupid.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Anything else to add, Mr. Menzel? Or nope. Or tracked? Nope. You think we're both crazy and you're like, ah, it's an allegory. <laughs> it's an allegory from modern socialism. Modern,
1: modern socialism. Grindle, <laughs> Grindle is Adam Smith. Grindle is Adam Smith.
2: And the proletariat has to tear his arm off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't uh, bring enough Marxist. Ronald Reagan this. is Grindel's mother. <laughs> the dragon is the capitalist himself. Right. Beowulf is Trump. <laughs> All right. Here's a quote from Tolkien. Beowulf is not a primitive poem. It is a late one, using them to materials, then still plentiful, preserved from a day already changing and passing, a time that has now forever vanished, swallowed in oblivion, using them for a new purpose with a wider sweep of imagination, if with a less bitter and concentrated force. When new, Beowulf was already antiquarian, in a good sense, and it now produces a singular effect. For it is now to us itself ancient, and yet its maker was telling of things already old and weighted with regret, and he expanded his art in making keen that touch upon the heart which sorrows have that are both poignant and remote. If the funeral of Beowulf once moved like an echo of an ancient dirge, far off and hopeless, it is to us a memory brought over the hills, an echo of an echo. There is not much poetry in the world like this, and though Beowulf may not be among the greatest poems of our Western world in its tradition, it has its own individual character and peculiar solemnity, It would still have power had it been written in some time or place unknown and without posterity if it contained no name that could now be recognized or identified by research, yet it is in fact written in a language that after many centuries has still a central kinship with our own. It was made in this land and moves in our northern world beneath our northern sky, and for those who are native to that tongue and land, it must ever call with profound appeal. Until the dragon comes. Until the dragon comes. Pretty cool, right? That's a it's very idea. cool. I don't know what the, any of that meant, but <laughs> <laughs> sure did to know how to write a pretty essay. That's all you got to do, man. <laughs> Welcome to round two of the Kenning Contest. We have in one corner, Jake Menzel. In the other corner, we have the undefeated champion of the Kenning Contest, Mr. Ph.D. ABD himself, Brandon Chastee. Yeehaw. <laughs> all right, Kenning Contest, part two, starting now. You guys remember the rules, what there were of them? Yep. Blood Ember. Remember, you gotta ring in. Blood Ember. Jake. Heart. Jake is minus one. Scott. The sun? You both are minus one. Blood Ember. A burning, bloody thing. <laughs> is it fire? <laughs>
1: no,
0: no. Sword. It's a sword. Very close, actually.
2: Are you serious? A sword's are very close.
0: Now that I said very close, someone should ring in. It's a spear. Scott. An arrow. Brendan is minus two. Oh no, I forgot. I can't remember. <laughs> Jake, a spear. Jake is minus two. <laughs> it's very close. Blood you guys, ember. Are right, you're playing in the right ballpark. A blood ember. Jake, a dagger. Jake is minus three. <laughs> Just go through the list of weapons. It's we... your turn, yeah.
2: Uh, a, f- a fiery arrow. Brandon, Scott. Scott, a fiery arrow.
0: Brandon is minus three. Yeah.
2: Jake, a battle axe.
0: I'll give it to you. It's an axe. Duh. <laughs> a blood ember is a battle axe? <laughs> yeah. Huh. Uh, so Jake's up to 9 I'm just going to make it. Jake has one point and Brandon has zero. We're going to forget about those negatives. Jake was up is up one, basically. Um, <clears throat> Spear Din. Like a, a sp- D-E-N. Got n. Gotta ring in. D-I-N. Scott, a shield. Brandon is minus one. Jake, the sound of a spear. (laughs) (laughs) Jake is is, uh, zero.
1: zero.
2: (laughs) Uh, That's that's all I had. I'm trying to imagine what would make a spear
0: make a noise. What would make a spear Uh, make a noise, guys? A body. Armor. I think bigger picture.
1: A warrior? Clang says a, a
2: war.
0: Uh, you didn't ring in. But- oh, Scott, a battle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fine. Uh, we're tied up. <laughs> zero to zero. That right. wasn't, yeah. Okay. Whatever, well, hey. Life liquid. <laughs> Jake, blood. Jake is up one. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> uh, Wound C. What? Wound. S-E-A. S-E-A. Jake, blood. Jake is up two. <laughs> Breaker of rings Well rings are a good thing
1: Jake monster
0: Jake is down one Scott death Brandon is down one oh. Current score is Jake one Brandon negative one
2: I ain't doing so hot this time um, Jake
1: enemy or foe uh,
0: Jake is minus one
1: I went from one to minus
2: one
0: and You're a zero, oh. you one zero.
2: Um, Breaker of rings This is an abstract concept
0: no, it's actually uh, a good thing. Think about the characters from the book and what they did with rings and think about who would be the breaker of rings.
2: Scott King?
0: Absolutely correct. You guys are tied up with zero.
2: Breaker?
1: I thought they were givers of rings. I
0: think that's kind of what it means. They allude to a ruler breaking the golden rings upon his arm and using them to reward his followers. Huh. Sleep of the sword.
1: Jake, death.
0: Yes. Bane of wood. Jake, J- fire. Nah. <sighs> Jake is up two,
2: two to zero. I never remember what my name is. (laughs) Scott, I (laughs) almost said Jake. I almost said Jake that time.
0: (laughs) Cracky's Seed. A guy named Cracky. (laughs) A guy named Rolf Cracky. (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) Jake.
1: Child.
2: No. (laughs) (laughs) We're not getting this one, are we?
0: We are at one to zero. Do we have to know who Ralph Cracky was? (laughs) It it sure help. (laughs) Basically, Rolf crack, Rolf Cracky spread this stuff to distract the men of the Swedish king. It can also be used to imply generosity. Jake Gold. Jake, it's now we're to two to zero. Bait gallows.
2: Bait gallows? Uh Scott? A corpse? No.
0: Brandon's minus one.
2: A fishing pole.
0: <laughs> Very close. Oh right, seriously. But you didn't ring in. Scott.
2: Fishing equipment, a pole, a fishing
0: pole. Uh, you're second, so I'll give it to you. It's a hook. Oh, okay. Brandon, so we're zero to two. You got
2: this one. No, I'm, you're going down. I've got gotcha.
0: you. Don't worry. Here I come. I've just been
2: holding back. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Swan of blood. Oh yeah, whatever. Swan of blood. Mm-hmm. There's a famous poem that, if it had used kenning, would have said, "Quoth the swan of blood, nevermore."
2: Oh, Scott, Raven.
0: Good job. <laughs> sail road jake c Red three to one swan road scott the sea <laughs> we're at two to three, three to two valley trout <laughs> valley trout
2: so a trout in a valley <laughs> what would that
0: oh it is a creature i'll give you guys that
1: jake rabbit tied up with two to two <laughs> trash a
2: rabbit is that what you said yeah what? A valley that's a trout <laughs> you get no uh, yeah i have no clue I guess I have to guess, don't I? Or we both go down one.
1: Yeah, you better guess something.
2: But wait, if I don't, then we both just go down one. We should just guess something. (laughs) (laughs) A a valley trout. A deer. Is it a dove or something like that?
0: Nobody's rung in.
2: Scott wasn't a deer. A snake.
0: Correct. Brandon is ahead with (laughs) what? two to three. We'll do two more. Jake can bring it back. He just. Wave swine. Wave swine.
1: Jake, a whale.
0: Jake is down to one. Jake, a fish. Jake is down to zero. (laughs)
1: Scott, it's an (laughs) orwal. A pig. A floating pig. (laughs) Uh,
2: I guess it's what they considered a floating
0: pig, right? (laughs) I have no clue. A trout. Brandon's down to two. A boat. Jake, a boat. J- breaks. Jake's up to one. Oh, whoa. One to two. How in the world? <laughs> um. <laughs> Is
1: that a floating pig? Because <laughs> it's fat and it holds stuff. There you go.
0: Sky candle.
1: Jake, the sun.
0: It's tied up. I'll He's do it. That's it, right? I'll, no, I'll do
2: it. A tiebreaker.
0: Oh, tie All right. All right. Did I do this one earlier? This doesn't count if I did it earlier. Destroyers of eagles' hunger. Jake sure. Warrior. No, you didn't do it earlier. Jake wins.
2: <laughs> because Yay. they kill people and they kill people. eat the bodies. That's
0: great. <laughs> Don't be mad at the Kenners. Brandon's <laughs> <laughs> like sense. good kenning. Great, because they kill people. <laughs> Today was written and produced by Nathan Alverson. It was performed by Nathan Alverson, Brandon Chastain and Jake Menzel If you want more amazing content Like this you can go to warhornmedia.com We've got all the back episodes of our Amazing podcast And also Great articles by people You can hit me up on twitter at, at Not Nathan You can hit Jake Menzel up at, at Jacob Menzel on twitter You can send us a twitter, send us a tweet Get in our feed